if your team is doing that well, you put them as a leader. Like, do you want to be an SCR leader? Like, where is it that you want to go? I'm assuming that they don't just want to stay and be an SCR forever. Or if they do want to be an SCR forever and they're making that much money for you, then do some kind of special compensation for them just because it's going to pay off. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. What's up with you, man? Tell me about the you got you got new logo you got new logos. Yeah, I uh, I started up my own thing, man. I I I've been doing a bunch of startup work, right? So I've been doing um, uh, a bunch of startup work for companies all over the globe. So. I was doing work out of Spain. I was doing work out of Canada. I was doing work out of Holland. So I've been doing a bunch of these these uh, startup companies. And what I've been realizing is they, they just are like the founders haven't got to a place where they're really ready to hire like someone like me full time or even someone like marketing full time. So after the last one, I actually told them, I'm like, hey, look, at, I just want to do fractional work for you. And they're like, no, we got to do full time. And then six months later, like they ran out of money. And I'm like, you know what? Like this just doesn't work. So I've been doing fractional stuff kind of with people that I know and kind of just on the side, just helping people out. And I was like, you know what? What if I just do fractional full time? And so I just kind of jumped into it full time. Did so well. I started that company. So I've been doing that, but I also started like a second company, which is more of a consortium. So I have like a bunch of fractional sales. So I, I think of it in three buckets, sales, marketing, and rev ops. And so I have fractional leaders in all of those spaces. And if I get the right founder, I'm just going to spin everybody up at the same time. Like instead of like trying to like do it all like um, segmented, we'll just raise everybody up at the same time and be able to get to market like super quick. Like, now, let's are you do typically it. working with venture back companies? I assume. Yeah, but not necessarily like my, the three companies I'm working with right now don't have any venture backing. They're kind of just bootstrapping, you know, they complain a little bit about my fees in the beginning. And then, you know, but it, it's probably my, my ideal customer would probably be a to a plus uh, C uh, funding. But I've done stuff with seed people. Um, you know, I charge ten thousand dollars a month retainer. Um, but then, but I also at a six month clip. But what I just started doing is like building out packages. Like if you don't like that, then we could build a go to market playbook for you. I'm realizing like a lot of these people just don't understand revenue models. Like simple, like okay, you want to get to three million in revenue, you need these many leads with these many opportunities, and then like. Your close, your time to close is ninety days. Like, so I bu I built a a revenue model that's super simple, not like a a CFO model, but something that was more from a business sales perspective to like give them an idea based on the data versus their gut. Okay, so I'm gonna bring this up because I want to know your opinion on this based on what you said, and it reminded me of yep. a post. So there's a post that a guy named Jamal. Ramir, you know, Jamal Ramir, you follow him on LinkedIn. So I feel I like see him on this. maybe, maybe you didn't here. Let me, let me send you this guy's LinkedIn account. So basically he wrote a post that said that he didn't <laughs> think sales was a numbers game and uh, created, it created like an enormous amount of, um, here, I'll put this in the comments. This people going crazy. Um, well, I think it's, I think, I think where, where people get sideways when they say it's a numbers game, like a lot of leaders are like, 
okay, you have to make 400 calls and you have to do 400 emails, but they may not have the ICP right. Like they may not have the buying persona right. So some things, and it depends, like it may be quality over quantity um, type of thing. Yeah, what became apparent to me when I'm watching this, po this uh, or when I'm watching this thread kind of break out is, um, here, I'm going to send this to you uh, in LinkedIn because I can't figure out how to get it to you, uh, not in LinkedIn. So I just sent you in LinkedIn. I sent you yeah. the guy. I didn't send you the post. I don't know where the post is. It'll take us all day to find that, but I sent you the guy. Yeah. And so basically what when I'm reading the post, what I think was happening is it was a very enterprise statement. So my thought yep. is kind of this. If you're in the small to mid market, it is a numbers game. Like it's all yep. numbers. I mean, we track how, you know, it, the phone calls, the emails, the conversations. Conversations, are, in my opinion, are the greatest indication of revenue. If you're talking to people, it is the greatest indicator of whether or not you're going to be generating revenue or not. Now, obviously, you want to have the quality, the higher the quality the better. But as you get up, as you go up market and you're an AE at a really large, because there's a lot of people that chimed in on this post um, that I yeah. have a lot of respect for that I, um, that I sort of was like, Ooh, this is just what this is, is an enterprise versus SMB conversation. Yeah. Because when you're yeah. an enterprise sales rep, you're really kind of moving your energy from, from like high volume to more of like, where am I going to put my time and energy? I mean, yeah, obviously 100%. more, um, if you're working big account, if big accounts or small accounts, more deals are better than than less deals, assuming the quality is equal, right? You know. Well, yeah, as long as long as like it's being managed. So as long as salespeople aren't wasting their time and like you get like, so I'll give you an example. So there was a, a, a model that I built, and I'll keep the names out to protect the innocent. Yep. But um, like when I when I ran the numbers their lead to opportunity ratio was 50%. So if you had 100 leads, 50% were converted into opportunities, which is super high to me, but their close rate was 5%, right? And so just on those two numbers alone, you start thinking, what's your compensation plan look like? What's your qualification process look like? Like how much time are, are your sales reps wasting on deals that are never gonna close? You know, so, how Just were they identifying the opportunity? Like, what were they identifying as I, an opportunity? I don't know enough. It was like right in the front. Of, oh, in front. Like, I was just doing some some initial work with them, um, so I don't. I didn't dig in far enough. Like, I didn't get that far with them. But when I ran the numbers, I'm like, you guys have a big problem. Like, if if I'm gonna attack something, it's this first. I'm gonna look at the comp plan. I'm gonna look at your qualifications. I'm gonna look at you know how like I was kind of diagnosing for them what I would do, but you know those numbers are so far out of whack. Like you don't really know where the out of whack is and that's where the work begins. Right. So, and they were going after mid market and I think their, their ICP might've been wrong. Their actually their ICP may have been right, but their buying persona was wrong. So a lot of people lump in buying personas in the ICPs and you got to break those out. Um, so, you know, I, I think founders I, and I don't, I don't think it's the founder's fault. I think they just don't know enough about revenue. Like they don't understand marketing. They don't understand how marketing and sales work together. So um, yeah, it's kind of why I went started out on my own and, you know, it's been good so far. It's, it's, as you know, it's a little more stressful when you're running your own company versus working for somebody working else. For somebody but, else yeah. um, no. but no, it's much sure. better. Like it's a better quality. Like I have more, time to think like doing a lot more content like i start writing a lot of content again 
Um, I'm in the process of working on a book. I'm in the process of working on a um, course with one of the other sales leaders that I know to help people go from, like if they want to get in the sales leadership, like so much sales leadership is shit. Like it's so bad. So, so let's talk about that. Cause I don't feel like there's enough. I, mean, I think we talked, did we talk about sales leadership last time? I don't remember. It's been yeah. I don't remember either. Let's talk about that. Cause I think it's just something that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it all leads back to it. Like even that, even that post, like great, you know, on the enterprise side, I have a customer and they sell the HP and IDC and like big customers. So they're selling into the fortune 1000. So obviously you're not going to have high volume. You're going to do account-based selling, but it also starts at the leadership. Like, you know, we want to blame sales reps all the time for like bad emails or automation or all this stuff, but where's the leadership? And I think part of it is most organizations don't help um, sales, whoever the sales leader is into enough of the training. Like they don't train them. So, so, so talk to me kind of through that. Like, what do you think an ideal situation, um, like, can you define sales leadership for me? And then can you talk about what you think it looks like when it's healthy? And can you talk about what you think it looks like when it's unhealthy? Yeah. So let me start with what I see that happens a lot. That's unhealthy. Cause I think that's an easier one to identify. It's a lot of people that have been top salespeople. They've, you know, been crushing their number, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, the organization wants to rush them into leadership or put them as a leader because they've hit some big number. And so I associate it to a sports analogy, like most good players, most great athletes are never good coaches. Like they're not good coaches. And so just because you've done a lot of good stuff in selling doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach or a great leader. So I think that's where a lot of it is, is wrong. And I think the second part of it is really trying to figure out why people want to be leaders. Like anytime I talk to somebody or I coach somebody through some of this, I ask them like, why do you want to be a leader? And like, if I hear anything besides like, I want to coach people up, I'm about the team versus myself. You know, if it's, Hey, I want to make more money. Like you're just doing it for the wrong reasons. Like leadership is not about just making more money or going on trips or managing people like you you got to be able to coach people and get them into that process so it's got to be the right right um reason to go into sales leadership so do you think it's so the question that i wrote down here while you were saying this is how do we identify good coaches if it's not based on the number because we use the number because that's easy to identify right that's that's the the moving factor in how top performers get to be sales yep. leaders. I think it's inherent in the person. Like, I think you have to figure out who on your team or who may want to be a leader. Like one of the bigger problems in the beginning is do the leaders in the organization put together a career plan for people? Like some people want to be leaders. And so then you assess out everyone that wants to be a leader. And then you start having that question around why do you want to be a leader? And then get them through a, a track and a program to be successful. Like a lot of people don't realize like all the empathy that goes into it, all the crazy schedules, like people like taking time off and you got like, you're juggling a lot of therapeutic stuff that could be like even out of the work world. So I think people don't realize how much work that actually takes. So find out who wants to do it, put them on a track to be successful in how you want them to lead. And, and do you think in most environments, 
leadership should be organic internally or that people should be going looking at the outside? Uh, once again, I think it depends on the, the situation, but I think organically it always would make more sense because they understand the product, they understand the people, they understand the political nature of it. Now, if you're bringing in, if they don't have the experience in that leadership, then you got to train them through to it and you're probably bringing someone on from the outside. It, you know, how fast you have to have it done. Like, are you trying to go get funding and you need to be able to run close rates and uh, churn and NRR and all these things that are popping up that someone that doesn't have that experience wouldn't be able to help you in. Um, so then you would actually go out and hire from outside. And do you think that, um, so this is an interesting discussion because I'm going to leave this guy's name, I'm going to leave this guy's name out. So um, I, from my experience, uh, you know, you know, before I started Monster Connect, I ran, ran and started uh, outsourced um, sales appointment setting agency. We had 125 guys all in an office, scheduling appointments. And um, over the years, it was very boiler. It wasn't that, that wasn't the name of the company, but it was very boiler room. Um, and so um, what I found in my experience was some of the best salespeople were not um, the, the best, were not the best appointment setters. And some of the best appointments, guys that were the best at setting appointments weren't always the best salespeople. So if we took somebody that was really good at generating leads and we put them in a sales role, a lot of times they struggled. And so um, what I came to find over years is I was really looking for the wrong profile. And I don't know how much you use, you know, personality assessments to uh, kind of vet out guys or look for certain key talent when you're as a sales leader, you personally, but I found it to be really helpful. At least, you know, it's kind of supportive. And as you try to make decisions on who potentially can do certain types of sales and certain roles in the sales cycle, et cetera. And so I made this post about, um, you know, Hey, the, I basically did an image of like, Hey, on the left side, this is somebody that's a good salesperson. And on the right side, this is somebody that's a good prospector. And then I think that most companies have it can like this model of having appointment setters or SDRs, however you want to think this, this idea that you got to be an SDR for three years before you're an AE, um, I think is broken, but I want to hear your, I want to hear your opinion. Um, Cause what happens in this post and why I brought this up is it comes into sales leadership. Basically somebody chimes in and says, Hey, I can make, it was a personality. He said, Hey, I can make any, I can make the gal on the right, the best person at your company. Um, now the gal at the right of the profile had been in sales, had been a full cycle sales rep, but she was really comfortable. Like she likes being an SDR. She has no aspirations of selling. Like that's what she wants to do. And she does a great job. Um, and in my experience, when I was, when I was uh, running a large team, we would not have hired that profile on the right of this post. We were looking for the person on the left. What was happening by hiring the person on the left is the turnover was out of control. Like we could mm -hmm. not keep people in the seats. Like it was because we, we had somebody that was like high urgency, high intensity, um, you know, it just wasn't the right fit. So I want to hear your opinion on all. I would love to hear your opinion on all that. Yeah, I'm totally open to being challenged. I think it's, I think it's actually what the people want to do. Like, like you said something really important there that she wanted to be an SDR and she was a full cycle salesperson before, but her real passion was around the appointment setting. So, okay. 
do you try to force them into something they're not comfortable with? They may be okay at it, but they're not going to get, like eventually they're just going to leave the company because they're not going to be happy with it. So I think too many times we don't do like uh, journeys of your employment. Like, where do you want to go? How do you want to do it? And then once you understand what makes people tick, you can create career paths for them. Like maybe she wants to lead SDRs. Maybe she doesn't want to be a sales leader, uh, uh, sales AE. Like that's not always the direct path. I, so I how would you think about this? If Okay, you have somebody that's really good in this position. You know, the driving motivator for leaving is, let's say, let's just take, let's take somebody you've identified, they're really good. Let's just take a common model. We're hiring SDRs. We're using those SDRs to move to an AE role, um, which is the classic sales development mm -hmm. model inside mm -hmm. the technology company. And we've got an AE or we've got an SDR who's doing a really good job, who's identified that they don't want to move. But now we have a compensation issue because our compensation model has a is cap, is going to cap her at her. So she's either going to leave because she doesn't like the team or she's going to leave because she get capped. So she can't make enough money. So how do you think about that? Do you like which like I mean, I think, as a sales yeah. leader, how do you start articulating like how do we create a compensation model? Because it's in the company's best interest to keep that person. This is all hypothetical, obviously. Sure. Uh, to keep that person producing. Like, sure. If I, I think I think it actually starts at the hiring process and the interview process. Like if you know your track is SDR to AE, like that's the way you're going to execute your strategy inside the organization. Then when you interview, you're going to say, you're going to start as an SDR, but our thought process is you would be an AE. Does that work for you? Is that going to be something that you're comfortable with? Or, you know, at some point you may get capped if you don't go to that place. So you almost have to like lay it out in the beginning. So they have a choice on whether they come in or not, or you create, like, if you've got, if your team is doing that well, you put them as a leader. Like, do you want to be an SDR leader? Like, where is it that you want to go? I'm assuming that they don't just want to stay and be an SDR forever, or if they do want to be an SDR forever and they're making that much money for you, then do some kind of special compensation for them just because it's going to pay off. Like what? No, no it's like, totally, totally pay off. Yeah. It's uh, all, it's all an ROI thing. Like someone told me as I was, um, one of my executive coaches that I work with told me as I was interviewing at one, at one position, like flip the question to the interviewer. So I was interviewing the CEO and he told me, he goes, ask this question. What is your, what is your expectation of the ROI on me? So you're As paying the CEO. Me, yeah. You're, you're paying me X number of dollars. Everything's an ROI. What's the expectation of the ROI on me? And it's the same thing with the SDR. Like if you're paying them $75,000 base because they're a high generating SDR, but they're booking a bunch of meetings and not just booking the meetings for a meeting sake, but they're closing right. like those meetings that they're booking are closing. Then maybe what you do is you create something where they're getting a, a chunk of the deals that are closing. There's a lot of ways to do it, but I would personally, the way I would think about it is if that's the strategy you guys are running, make sure that they're aligned, like alignment and beginning of bringing them on board. So you don't get into that situation. Well, well, you know, my argument and beef with how this is done is this. The and and look, I realize that people it's obvious that people don't agree with me, but here here's the thing. What what my experience has been people setting appointments, so the SDR function or the door opening function, to be in that position for a long time and do that, you have to have a certain set of personal character, like personality characteristics to be able to do it for a long time. 
So the yep, people that I've sure. had that are really good at that role are basically like Brad told me to make a hundred phone calls. Brad told me to make a hundred phone calls or Dale told me to make a hundred phone calls. Like they're yep. totally comfortable with doing something repetitively over and over and over and over again. That doesn't look like a lot of my experience doesn't look like a lot of great AEs that I know. So what I think happens is the AE, the guy that wants to be an AE has is an achiever and he's figured out what he wants and he's decided that this is a means to an end. So they, in order for me to make sure. money, I got to be an SDR. And in order for me to be an AE, I've got to be good at being the SDR so I get promoted. So he has the capacity to do that skill for some point of time. So to be a good salesperson, you have to be a good prospector. But I don't think the alter, the opposite is true. So what I think is happening in a lot of these SDR teams is that they're saying, hey, we're not generating because they got multiple motion. They got multiple motives. They want to use it for recruiting, but they also want it to generate revenue. And what happens is they 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 wind the team up and then they're like, OK, this isn't working. We're not generating any revenue. Well, they're not generating revenue because they got all the wrong people doing the jobs. They got people that want to get promoted, that don't want to be in those seats, <laughs> that don't want to do the job. And so that's really been my argument is that I feel like that's in conflict. Sure. If you want it to generate revenue, then you have to find a certain type of per there's a different personality to generate revenue than the kind of personality that you want to advance. That's my that's my position. That's so, my so, let's, so let's take that. Let's take that on the backside of, of the revenue world. Like so from a CS perspective, like CS and AEs are totally different. Right. And now a lot of people are talking about NRR and, and net dollar retention and all of this stuff and churn. But this, but the CSM, as they typically were built out, have always been like more project manager. Like they want to make sure people are using the product. They're not here. They're not listening for buy signs. They're not like listening for some of these things where you can get expansion, right? So right. NRR to me, NRR is more important than ARR. Like ARR is one thing. NRR is super important because not only is the customer staying, but they're probably extending or expanding the Maybe. revenue footprint, right? And so you like to me, and I, I just posted this today. Churn actually may not be a bad thing because you have customers that are costing you money. But if you can if you can do 110% NRR and your churn is 5%, but you're still doing 10% increase on NRR, but that personality, like that person at the CSM role is totally a different person than the sales role. But what's happening now is because the CSM sees how much the AEs are making, they're like, I want to make that money. Yeah. But it's a different skill set. And the same thing with the SER. The reason why the SER in most cases. It, this isn't this is a, a bad yeah. blanket statement, but in most cases the SCR wants to make the money that the AE makes, right? Right. And so it's kind of collapsing into each other. Yeah. Where I think you're right. It's a skill set thing. And how do you how do you hire for the skill set? But I still think at some point you have to have a evolution path for people that want to go through that that journey. Yeah, I think the big takeaway from this conversation is like in the recruiting process understanding and hiring process, really understanding what the path is for the person that you're hiring. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, part of what came from this post that I made was that somebody hopped in there um, with a total different opinion and a, an abrasive one uh, in that, uh, I, or I consider to be abrasive. Um, and, um, and not only abrasive, but it was self, uh, it was, it was self, uh, like it was in their best interest to say the things that they were saying because of what they not did. Not on LinkedIn. But, that, that would never happen on LinkedIn. <laughs> but, but what was brought up is leadership. 
And yeah. so it got me thinking, I mean, basically he said, Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, a great leader make either two of these people function. And I do think that this great leaders have the ability to get the most out of people um, and they have the ability to identify really good talent, but they also have the identity to cut people that aren't a good, that aren't a good fit. Sure. And if you look at like Paul Bear Bryant and John Wooden, um, particularly John Wooden. I mean, John Wooden's first NCAA basketball team, he really won with underskilled players. And over time, yeah. you know, as you get into the third, fourth, fifth national championship, he gets uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who, and then he starts getting all these great players. But he really was able to get a lot out of a little bit. And I think that's part sure. of being a good leader. But I sure. also think that good leaders have the ability to not only identify talent and people they didn't know they exist, but they also get away from people that, they know aren't going to be productive for them. Sure, a hundred percent. So let's bring it to real life, like real time. What's happening in sports? Deion Sanders going to University of Colorado, right? Coaching University of Colorado. Yep. Like, but but the thing I liked about it, and you can say whether like him leaving, you know, JMU and all those others. Like, there's there's that part of it. But what he came in and he was super clear on his expectations. Like, this is the this is the challenge of a lot of leaders is. They don't understand how to set expectations and alignment and some transparency through that process. But, but Dion came in and was like, look at some of you guys may not uh, make it through this process. And, you know, I'll help you go through the portal. Like I'll help you go through the transfer portal. The next day I was reading the article, the quarterback of the of Colorado went on the transfer. He's portal. Out. Like he's, transfer he's out. Right. Yeah. So, so, but a good leader sets the expectations, you know, you're, you know, you know what level people are expecting and either you rise up or you don't rise up to it. And it's up to the leader to coach those people up. Um, and I think that going back to what makes a good leader, you have to coach, you have to actively listen, you have to have empathy. There's a lot of transparency and you have to have some vulnerability. Like you can't be an ass because it just isn't the way it works nowadays. Um. You know, where do you go? So you want to be a sales leader. Where do you, where do you, where do you go? Where does somebody that, go to find good sales leadership? Like that's, tips and training. That's uh, yeah, a $50,000 question. That's why I'm working on building out some of that stuff for people. A lot of people don't realize this, but you should have mentors and coaches that can help you through this process. Like there's a lot of people that have done it. Like I have an executive coach. Like I have somebody on staff that I call. I have weekly calls with them. The best athletes in the world have these coaches. So if you're, what I would say is if you're a salesperson or you want to get into sales leadership, I would find a mentor, find a coach to help you get to where, from where you are to where you want to be. It's like any other revenue goal. Hey, you want to do 3 million in revenue? Here are the number of leads. Here are the number of opportunities. Like same thing in that process. Like you got to work backwards from where you want to be and come backwards. I think you have to, you find a good coach. All right. Well, this was awesome. This was great, Dale. I, uh, is there anything specific you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? I No, I, I love the topic. Like, I really think we need to do a better job as a sales community to raise good leaders up because we can blame salespeople all we want and, like, they're doing bad things with, like, you know, automation and blah, blah, blah. But it's more about how do you coach and lead them through the process to get them more productive, more generating revenue, wanting to stay in the company, creating a culture that people really want to live in. Um, so I'm super excited that we got to talk about it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, 
Dale, again, always love having you on. Um, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll get, uh, where can people reach you? They want to find uh, you. LinkedIn all the time. Um, my website's the salechangeagent.com. Um, and be on the lookout as I uh, think about how to put together a sales leadership training program and mentorship and cohorts uh, as we move forward. Okay, awesome. That's great. All right, well, Dale, always good talking to you. 